Good morning. Welcome. This is the Anakalema talk show, and we've uh, not been on air for a while due to all kind of circumstances, but we are just too happy to have Anakalema back with us this, this morning, and uh, she has a wonderful topic that she's going to share with us this morning, which um, I've already broadcasted this morning. But let us quickly remind ourselves what she says. She says, In a world where practically all human rights have been denied and the social fabric of mankind has been shattered, how do we go within to find the Christ, the inner Buddha, the heart of the little child within us all, where children themselves through the present alienated masking system are all denied contact with the maternal face of the mother within, which is also the archetype of the Divine Mother. Without your face, where is the visage of God to be found? She asks. Thank you so much, Anna Kalima to come and talk to us on this uh, profound subject and very pertinent to what is happening right now in the world. Welcome, Anna Kalima. Good morning, Blessed Ralph, and thank you for having me back this blessed morning, very, very hot here in the Western Cape. We have almost a heat stroke going through at the moment, so... I think people are taking a bit of strain at the moment because there's also no sign of rain, which is most typical of this region. Yes, uh, the outer weather is uh, kind of reflecting the inner struggles that uh, humanity as a whole is going through right now. So, Anakanema, this is a profound topic that you're bringing forward this morning. How do we go within? I think, you know, most people have a basic today understanding of what that means is to go within. I think a lot of people suffer also from the frustration that they've barely gone within and they are constantly distracted also within because of the analytical mind, the intellectual mind was the ascendant masters refer to the lower mental body because it is so cluttered and so filled with stuff that is of no consequence to our lives and it appears that to go within we have to get past this constant streaming of nebulous nothingness constant repetition of things we said and did a week ago a month ago a year ago and this sort of thing and this repetitive inner dialogue which can get extremely tiring as it comes around once again on the great astral conveyor belt of mankind's rather tortured emotions and mental faculties at this point in time. So we have to get past this. And how do we do that? Well, we've got to come to some realization within ourselves that God Almighty is greater than all of this. Because, you know, something as simple as that gives you in your higher self it empowers you to overcome and to break through if you like this uh, 
astral tide, this effluvia, as Saint Germain likes to refer to it as, this astral effluvia. Effluvia is a word that really describes an enormous amount of riffraff, just about everything which is nothing, or cluttered up in, in the way which contaminates, pollutes, and so on and so forth. He describes it very clearly that our present bloodstream is filled with effluvia, and this is why we don't function so very well at the moment, because of contaminants. And people do not realize that their consciousness actually rides in their blood. Um, hence, if we go back to the tragic times, and even in the modern, very tragic times, there's still a lot of satanic bloodletting going on. And why do they bloodlet? What is the principle, although fallen it is, in bloodletting? It's because the spirit lies in the blood, the bloodstream. Um, when Jesus Christ was crucified, a lot of people were favored just to get one precious touch to a drop of blood that spilt from his being because it was almost a kind of immortalization, being the Messiah, being who Jesus was. But yet for modern contemporary man and where we stand at the moment, your spirit in Christ still lives in the blood. This is why we are admonished not to take alcohol in because alcohol contaminates the bloodstream it goes into the bloodstream and it is a alienated spirit which evaporates very quickly as well and causes apart from anything else dehydration and all kinds of thinning out of the blood and so on and so forth it is the wrong quite literally it is the wrong spirit in your blood we do not need the wine of fermented grapes in our bloodstream we need the wine of the living Christ consciousness in our bloodstream which is the principle of the Eucharist in the breaking of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ the symbol thereof of being the wisdom in the body and the blood his spirit or Christ consciousness so we need to understand that the divine within us is very very powerful it is all powerful it is the light of Almighty God it is the light that never fails if we can give this acknowledgement to ourselves in a quiet moment, we instantaneously empower. It's Look, let me put it to you this way. Do you not like it when someone acknowledges you? Yes, you do. If someone genuinely is acknowledging you, it'll lift you up. It'll make you feel good, won't it? I say, gee, Ralph, you're looking good today. How are you feeling, man? How's things going? Does that not make you feel good because I've acknowledged you? Well, do you not think that God feels the same way? <laughs> so when we acknowledge God do you not think it empowers him and you think well, why would God the creator need to be empowered he would like us to acknowledge him because why he created us in the first place the father mother God principle of Alpha and Omega and he lives within your heart without God within you you will not be alive you will cease to exist regardless of what any people say out there um, you will cease to exist instantaneously People say, how do you contact God? Well, just why don't you just acknowledge Lord God Almighty? I don't know where you are. You seem to be everywhere outside of me, and yet you are also within me. But Lord, my father, my mother, I acknowledge you. Good morning. Do you know what a difference that would make to your life? How would God feel? What, 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 what's this? My child is acknowledging me? How does that happen? You suddenly become aware of a deeper sense of well-being within yourself. One thing the Masters have always taught me is this. When you, those of us who are very active in service to the Ascended Masters, 
When you suddenly, there's no such thing as suddenly, but when you suddenly find yourself deeply thinking of a particular master and you feel very great love, let's say we suddenly feel the presence, we feel and we want to be with Saint Germain because Saint Germain wants to be with you. And Saint Germain is sending you cords of divine love from his heart. Well, when you feel that empowerment from God returning, you feel suddenly a little bit lifted up and you feel a deep sense of, wow, I, I, I'm feeling suddenly very deep this morning because God has responded instantaneously by gently nudging you and saying, yes, I'm here. That is amazing. Thank you so much. You know, we are so caught up <coughs> in this alienated ego consciousness that uh, such a uh, idea is actually really so heartwarming. Uh, that is a wonderful introduction, Anna Kalima. Yes, it's it's a time when we need to just, we all have faith inscribed within us. We are born with it. Unfortunately, some people put their faith in things that do not respond. But when you take this, it is inalienable. It, it is, it is, you cannot alienate yourself from faith except by absolutely ignoring it or discarding it. And even then, as I've said to you sometime in other talks we've had, Faith gets transformed into, oh my God, please help me. When people meet the crisis of the moment, people of the most astounding situations who've denied God, what's the first thing you shout when your life is threatened? Oh my God, please help me. In other words, you are suddenly instantaneously placed back within the foundation of faith and you know God is there to call to. You know, you don't have to be told. You know, otherwise why would you suddenly in a sense automatically although I don't like that word because it speaks of a mechanization but instantaneously you refer to God as your savior isn't that very strange okay yes I think um, deep inside every human being's heart there is the innate belief in God except I think those fallen angels that are so deep yes but the masters have pointed out they do know Hence, when you do, um, which I have done in my time, not a great deal of, I have done exorcist work where I have exercised in the name of Christ certain removal of, of spirits from people. Um, people do know. They do know because they tremble before God. They tremble. These uh, spirits that are dark know. Why do they know? Because when you're really working, when you're empowered with the exorcising spirit of Christ Jesus himself, they do. I've seen it. They literally tremble. They go because there's no power greater than God that can act. So when you get the commanding Christ himself saying, listen, get out of this temple, get thee hence, they have to obey. They have to obey and they do. They obey instantly. Why do they obey even though they hate him? Because they know his power is supreme. Hmm. They know his power is supreme. And yet it's, it's so deeply entrenched i mean you, you t spoke about the bloodletting there's so much of it happening at this time yes. and yet these people are totally entrenched and addicted to, to this uh, uh fallen practice yeah the fallen practice is not only on this planetary body ralph it goes on to many other planetary bodies that are in similar um aligned solar systems as we have we are not the only life form in the universe. And anyone who thinks we are, you're going to have to do some deep cross-examination of your own thinking because you are 
really trapped in a tiny little capsule of conception if you believe that you have to get yourself out of that and very quickly because there are many multiverses as you know yourself and there are many other planetary bodies with very very similar life forms on it as we have today so god is absolutely everywhere and unfortunately these beings are everywhere as well okay because they have contaminated to the larger part the physical octaves the what some people are very fond of calling the intergalactic planes and so on and so forth. People often make comments they have absolutely no understanding of what they are referring to with all due respect. But the um, interstellar space and the galactic planes are contaminated at this point in time with various levels of fallen consciousness because it was from the very beginning the cursing of Lucifer when Michael threw him out of the etheric octaves to contaminate the matter plane which did not just mean only our blessed planet it's a lot more than that and yet they know all of these beings know they will even if they resent it to the point of absolute embittered hatred they will bend the knee before the power of the Christ in Almighty God and then they flee in absolute mortification and hatred because they have been cast out, they've been thrown out once again. So it's quite an interesting thing to observe that even the devils themselves will bend the knee to the Christ because he is the supreme power. So when we acknowledge um, Almighty God and his Christ, O Lord, thou Christ of God is a very much a, a rather orthodox version of addressing Almighty God, but it is sufficient in these times because it is an acknowledgement of the deep empowering quintessence of the spirit of God in all the matter plane, including your physical life stream, your body. Hmm. So uh, you have uh, expressed a very amazing uh, insight there that everything we see in the intergalactic planes is actually then purely physical. Yes, it's physical. Where, where people want to go to the moon or Mars or so on, these are all physical planets. These are all physical. It's a physical counterpart. Space is physical. So therefore, it's a thing. You can touch it. You can touch it in, in, in not a phenomenal way, although it is phenomena. You can go there and land on an asteroid, for example. You can go there and never mind that it will take you X amount of time. You can go and land on something, go and land on Mars or something like that. Okay, it's physical. There, there's lots of. Also, can you believe it? I'm sure you've come across this. I have. Um, I'm being quite astounded by it in many ways, just to how decadent mankind is at the present point in time. That is, this generation of peoples, um, this particular life stream of humanity, or the fourth and fifth root races of mankind. Do you know that our physical oceans, uh, the sea and so on, are not the only cluttered part of space. In space right now there's all kinds of mechanical clutter there, offshoots of satellites and all sorts of things, rocket parts and so on and so forth, that are actually moving like an asteroid belt itself in a kind of orbit around the Earth and other places. Interstellar space is full of mortal clutter. It's not free, it's contaminated. So. Not only do we have the asteroid, asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter, and we have the Kuiper belt uh, beyond Saturn, now we have a new kind of clutter that is right around our Earth, 
with all these uh, satellites and uh, not even all of them are functioning no. and some of them are just cluttered and debris yes it's debris it's, it's if it dies so to speak and it can't be um, maintained anymore just it's suspended there in time and space and it, it's in an orbit of its own because nothing is static in space contrary to what some people do not understand everything revolves around something everything is moving space is constantly moving it's not static it appears when you go into your garden to just be suspended it's very busy up there it's very very busy up there yeah and especially if we start to understand that uh, the interspace interstellar spaces um, is also interpenetrated by the astral world and uh, this astral world is also a fallen space yes people also have to understand that when we refer to astral which as you know literally means star but it's to do with an emotional star it's a star body it's a constellation if you like a fallen constellation of mankind's consciousness you know um the ascended lady master Claire Deline, who was Elizabeth Clay Prophet in her time, was given a dictation through the Lord of the World, Gautama Buddha, which I've never forgotten. I have a recording of these things. And the Lord of the World himself will bear this out within my heart right now, where it was stated that people cry out the injustice of the world to God. But do you know that ast the the sorry the Lord of the World Gautama said the astral plane is the injustice. That we have an astral plane is the injustice against God. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, so Gautama has stated that the astral plane is the injustice. Saint Germain has stated nothing good ever did or ever will come from the astral planes. Contrary to people who enjoy certain things in the astral planes, which appear to be temporarily illuminated, they're not. It is an illusion. It is a phenomenal illusion. All there are 33 astral planes, Ralph, and from there there's another 33 etheric planes until you reach the very highest and beyond of the crystal cities of light where the great ascended hosts are and the ascended masters have made it very clear ralph that all of the 33 astral planes are contaminated yeah okay well these things we have to get our minds and i suppose especially our hearts we got to understand that the physical spaces and the astral spaces that's not where you find Christ. No, you will never find Christ in the astral place. Why is it the injustice? Why did Gautama say in this marvelous, marvelous stream of light through Blessed Claire de Lee, why did he state that the astral plane is the injustice? Well, the astral plane shouldn't exist in the first place. It literally means man's fallen emotions. It is the fall of mankind where we've come from a very high plane where consciousness is pure in Christ, what is the antithesis of Christ? It is the astral planes, Ralph. Why do we have a moon? Because mankind's consciousness has fallen. In the times going back to the height of um, Atlantis and back into the heights of Lemuria, there were two suns in the sky for a start, 
because I have been shown these things. I have stood there and seen where the window was opened for me, where there was a time when the seven Elohim were suspended clearly in what we call the hemispheres of the earth to be seen by mankind. The various planets that represent the Elohim could be clearly seen and they were not some screaming match of people running outside and saying, oh, what's that in the sky? It was the consciousness of the Elohim that was there to be seen and observed and the two suns, there was no such thing as night time. Night time is actually the eclipsing of the sun of mankind's consciousness. That's what it truly means. And it is in the night time when the sun goes down from the hemisphere. The Son of God, the Son of Christ goes down and therefore we as a, as a, as a wave of humanity are subjected to the astral plane of our own creation which is called night time. Yes, it's a very big stretch of the mind to get there. Yes, night time is deeply favored by people. I too love the evening time when the sun goes down. We have all experienced it and there are many, many great masters who have ascended out of this. This is the present age where we are. But where the astral planes are most active is in the night time when the sun is not there. All the moon stuff. Oh, thank you so much. These are thought-provoking thoughts. And um, I suppose we have to get our mind and our hearts around them if we want to know where we find Christ. Yes, um, if we go back to our earlier point just now in finding God within and acknowledging God and empowering God simply by acknowledging our Father, Mother, God, acknowledging the Christ, um, we are then able to overcome that astral content because each man has his own astral body. Each man, woman and child have their own astral equivalent of the whole, you see. So we have a small amount of it to overcome within ourselves. Lords of Karma are very clear. They never give you what you cannot overcome, although so many of us don't believe that. We believe we are given far too much and it's dished up on a plate and we're going to die because we're not going to cope with it. And yes, it seems very real sometimes. We've all been there where we feel I cannot do this any further because these are moments where we have to overcome perhaps the darkest part of our emotions which have brought us to that point. But the astral body or emotional body is what is also known as the electronic magnetic belt around each human being, you see. And you'll find that people who suffer chronically from depression are immersed in the astral waters of their own creation. That's what depression really is. You are, in a sense, immersed. You're treading water. You're drowning, as it were, in emotion that you haven't cleared. I'm not being unthoughtful here. I'm not being careless here. Unfortunately, from a very practical, scientific, a divinely scientific approach, um, if you are not going to do the homework on your soul, if you're not going to do your homework in raising your consciousness, lifting yourself up, clearing the attic, clearing the subterranean caverns of the subconscious mind of the human mind the the mortal clatter you're going to be submersed in this stuff and it's very very difficult to get out of it the buddhists put it this way they call it the sea of samsara yes um, thank you Anakaliwa. these are uh, very necessary that we take our mind and thought into these paradigms Paradigms that change the way we think. Okay, so 
were not quite ready for a uh, break. Would you like to add something more? When you acknowledge God, when you have the courage, just keep doing it. And then you'll find one day when you sit down and meditate, God will acknowledge you. When you built up enough reserve of praising God, um, giving God the glory for everything you do that is successive and beautiful, um, give God the glory for the fact that you are in a physical body and you are in embodiment, just that alone, bearing in mind you do not beat your own heart. You do not breathe the air in that's given to you. It is done automatically for you through your body. You do not move the blood through your own veins. You do not wake yourself up in the morning. The Christ consciousness, the angelic consciousness wakes you up in the morning. There is a response in the body where you can program the body to through the habit of getting up at a certain time. But have you ever asked yourself, if you can leave the body, you, in other words, you fall asleep. If you can leave the body so easily, who looks after that body when you're gone? And when you suddenly awake and again you enter the body, because you do, your soul has to leave the body at night. It's extremely important for the soul to leave the body at night. And it is not, I must repeat, astral traveling. It has nothing to do with astral traveling. When you leave the body at night and your soul is taken to the etheric octaves of light where the ascended masters are, you are then taken through the various schools of life that appeal to you, where your training is best, where your particular gifts in life are, are able to shine even more and you are taught how to bring them to a, a deeper presentation for mankind. When you leave the body at night, there is... A team of angels globally and the ascended masters work with them to fetch their chilas from their bodies at night. You cannot suddenly, as some people say, but I won't find my body again. That's absolute nonsense. You are connected to your body through your threefold flame and the crystal cord. Some like to call it the silver cord. There's nothing silver about it. It is a divine golden crystal cord that comes and streams down from your I am presence over your crown chakra and then it anchors itself within your heart that alone keeps you to the body where you return it is basically like a divine umbilicus that is only severed in death it is only severed in death so the leaving of the body and the coming back to the body is guarded by the guardian angel there is no possession there is not something else that can move in there when you are not in the body not at all so when you leave the body at night, the body gets what? A time to truly recuperate and regenerate. Then the regenerative forces that are entirely elemental, Ralph, the elemental forces of the earth, the deep ionizing elemental forces of the earth, connect with the human body and basically rejuvenate it. It's still very powerful. A very similar principle is just to walk outside and go and stand on the lawn barefoot or sit down or lie down on the lawn does very much similar to a good night's sleep if you know that you're contacting those elements within the earth. But when the body is supine, when it is lying quietly in the bed rested and covered and protected and so on and so forth, then it is very safe. It is very, very safe. And people come and go. Jesus spoke about your coming in and your going out all the time. But it goes over the head of most people. When you come and when you go, he meant when you come into the body, when you leave the body, because you go and train. So those rejuvenated forces take place for you. And the body can rest. But the soul also needs its rest. And the rest that the soul needs is 
to immerse yourself like a tea bag that gets immersed into a cup of boiling hot water and the power of the heat of the water and so on and so forth draws forth the flavor out of the tea bag you then remove the tea bag and you enjoy the tea well you can imagine your soul as being like a tea bag and when you acknowledge god you immerse yourself in the divine cosmic heated waters of his consciousness and therefore he will draw forth from you the very best elements of your soul so that the flavor of your consciousness is acceptable in God's sight. Jesus constantly spoke, Ralph, of drink me while I am drinking thee. What does this really mean? How do you drink the soul of another? Well, you have to be immersed in divine waters to do that in the first place. Otherwise, you could take a cup of poison to your lips. If you're going to drink in the consciousness of others, you experience that sometimes when you are with people who are not awake, who are very heavy, who are asleep, or are very selfishly drawn into themselves. They are very hard work to be with. They are very, very hard work, and they can drain the life out of you. It's the same system, you see. It's the same understanding, because they're so immersed in those astral waters. Now, mm. I would teach you and say to you that the human aura is a very large thing. It's not some little eggshell as it's been described in some of these books around people. Do you know that the human aura extends nine feet by nine in front, behind, above, below, on either side of you? So where's the concept of the egg? The egg is a very narrow, defining thing. You have to look at what that egg truly represents. You are far bigger than you imagine far bigger because of the illusion there's my arms there's my legs well that's as far as i extend no not at all the human body is the most porous material on the earth it's porous it's in incredibly porous everything filters through us every microwave every radio wave everything filters through us we are subjected to it all the time through our nervous system because these waves must go somewhere where do they go they don't just stay inside your house. They move out into the universe. I mean, do you know, the masters were telling me the other day, as we sit here now, you and I are subjected to people who still use microwave ovens right now in the suburbia where we are. As they use them, those waves go out into the suburbia. Where do they go, Ralph? Through you and I. So even though we might not advocate and have one in our home, we are still subjected to the microwave. We are subjected to the radio wave. We are accept, subjected to all kinds of, now there's a 5G wave as well. And then the worst of all is the wave of human consciousness, the wave of human thoughts, which is the most damaging of all. You think your thoughts just somehow float around somewhere deep, somewhere inside of you, something. Not at all. Thoughts are things. They're tangible. As I said to you in a conversation some time back, if you pick up your phone now and you message your beloved, as you're typing out that message, you're seeing your thoughts physically appear before you. You can touch them with the mind. It is your intellectual property. You can touch it. What happens to the message? It's received on another receiver, a phone, and the person reads it. All cell phones are today is a mechanized form of telepathy. That's all they are. It's mechanized telepathy. Yeah. You know, the, these are so profound and some people might think, oh, yeah, but that's obvious. But you know, it's not obvious, eh? It's not obvious. We have to actually uh, wake up to these this kind of thinking. 
This is a true kind of science that we are thinking here. Well, we are very privileged to have Anna Kalima with us on the show this morning. And we're going to have a very beautiful song. I and the Mother Light are one. We're back here and we are talking about how we find the Christ within. So, continue, dear Anna Kalima. Lunello once made a statement. This is the Ascendant Master Lunello that um, the fallen ones deliberately brought through these devices too early because mankind is not ready for them yet. Because we are, as a life wave of humanity, emotionally retarded. You see, we are held back, in other words. Very sharp word, but most people are, particularly the bulwark of human consciousness. If people are still so, if you forgive me for using these words, sheep-orientated, means they are emotionally held back. They're not ready yet. They're not ready yet. They're not, the fruit, if you like, on the tree is not ripe yet. And if we are not able to even understand or govern our own emotions, yet we are given these technological devices that bypass all emotion, and what do they do? They promote headgear, top-heavy thinking, too much thinking. Where does that leave the heart? People are emotionally backlogged. They are, they are broken. People are, society is broken. It's shattered. The fabric of society at the moment is completely shattered. Why? Why? How is it possible that in the 21st century, when we have apparent rockets going to the moon, we have people, more people having nervous breakdowns than anything else? What is a nervous breakdown? 
it doesn't matter how it steams, whether you've suddenly bankrupt overnight or somebody dies and you cannot live without them or whatever the case may be, but you break. Why do you break? Because you're not emotionally ready yet. It's not that you are dysfunctional. You're not ready yet. The fruit on the tree is not ripe yet. Why is it that the whole world, and I'm talking about all the different cultures on earth, there is a very familiar stem where most people do not know where they're going, do not know what they want, do not know what is happening, do not know why they're suffering so needlessly. They are completely confused and disorientated because they were, what, moving along in a certain stream of consciousness, Ralph. And that stream of consciousness was hijacked by technology. Hmm. Yeah. So there's satanic forces that are bring things and precipitate things too soon. They bring them out of the future when mankind is uh, not able to emotionally process them and therefore these technologies control us and therefore we disintegrate because we, we are no control. We have no self-control. Why don't we have self-control? Why are we all so, so tired and exhausted? Why are we all so strained? Why do we find it very difficult to maintain relationships? Why is divorce now the highest, highest rate it's ever been globally? Why are people so completely alienated from one another? Because they are completely out of touch with their own emotions. And also the suicide rate is uh, going through another spike at yes. this very moment. Yes, yes. And if, if we look at it in, in the long run, if people were emotion, if you are emotionally equipped to deal with something, it doesn't mean you're not going to suffer. It doesn't mean you won't hurt. It doesn't mean you won't suffer if somebody dies you've loved dearly. Because for us, although we know death is not real, they move to the, to the, the other side, they make the transition, you are still benefit of their company. You're still benefit of their nearness, be it a, a, a beloved one or family or, God forbid, your own children, something like that. We are benefit of it. You know, we are all, there's only two streams of consciousness. There's the Christ and there's the astral belt. There's only two streams of consciousness in the universe. One is the Christ and Buddhic, shall we call it, aurora of divine consciousness around the entire of creation. And the other is the astral belt. What is the astral belt of? It is a fallen emotion. It is emotion that people have been unable to either surrender or resurrect. Now the principle of Christ coming, Jesus, was to resurrect you, was to bring you out of the death state of consciousness, you see. So that when you receive the Christ consciousness, what happens? You then become emotionally equipped to deal with life to deal with the karmic blows, to deal with what is thrust at you, unjustly or so. Hmm. Christ is the bridge, he is the mediator between the divine, between Almighty God and you. You have to have a mediator. Yes, we can go to God in our heart, but the Almighty requires the Son. He sent his Son for a reason. And therefore, in humility, we are required as a people to bend our knee before the Son of the Most High God, who is his representative. Jesus Christ himself was the original messenger. He was a messenger. 
Yeah. And who has listened to the message to this hour? A scant few. A scant few. And his message has been deliberately derailed, hijacked, and completely transliterated into a language no one understands. Yeah. Well, he's some kind of a reawakening taking place at the moment. I, I, I think there are some who've really turned towards Christ. So these talks that you give him are also a further step towards awakening, I think. I can only share with you that in my time, as I sit now in my early 60s and I go back into my youth, and of course, in the time of my youth, there were in there were only landlines, and they were pretty. They were the old dial as well. Um, there was nothing, uh, shall we say, sophisticated in them whatsoever. They were very simple. It came from a time when, during World War Two, they had to use a form of a Morse code to contact one another in emergency because there was no such thing as SMSing and messaging and all sorts of other things and fantastic internet uses and emails and things that didn't exist. And it's interesting to note that in World War Two and around about that time, people were closer together during World War Two than they have been since. Why? Because they didn't have these devices to abuse one another with as well. They had to go and find each other. They had to reach each other. They had to find a way of praying to reach each other through the heart and through the consciousness of the heart. I find today that often when I get messages from people, I've seen it in my own nature, Ralph. There are times when I can completely misinterpret a message. If I am caught out, as it were, I'm very busy with something, and I get a message I ought to read when I'm quite calm and quiet to understand where a certain individual might be coming from. So we can misinterpret these messages. Why? Because we are emotionally not strong enough to do so. Even with all my life experience, which I share very humbly with everybody and is in my present biography that I am writing, I can still tell you we still have to work on ourselves daily and hourly. You know, the great Padre Pio stated when he was incarcerated in Giovanni Rotondo in Italy that life is a constant battle of the self 24-7. You're constantly meeting yourself 24-7. It is a constant battle of your own emotions. Now, you've got to think about where this great Ascended Master is coming from now, where he made such a statement as that, because he realized in his own nature, he did 24 hours around the clock until his transition have to meet his own nature and overcome it. We can't shove this nature under the carpet. We can't hide the skeleton in the cupboard. We have to overcome it now. And you know the result when people do that is a complete mental breakdown, bordering on bipolar and schizophrenia. And then you wonder why <laughs> such a large majority of people in the world are on all forms of antidepressants today. What really is the antidepressant for? Well, I'm not coping, yeah, are you not coping? But what does the antidepressant do in a long time? It can help you. I'm not disregarding it at all. It can help you. But over a long period of time, it becomes an anesthetic. It means you're not dealing with it. You can't just give up and say, I'm not dealing with my emotions. I'll put them to sleep and I'll be all right. Unfortunately, 
it's not going to work in the long run. You have to find a space in your soul to say, this is enough. Am I touching base? What is base, the foundation of my life? Can I find me? Do I know where I am? As I'm slowly falling asleep. And boy, do the doctors dispense this stuff. Going right up to as much as schedule four and five. Yep. And in young children as well. I hear it now that there are children as young as seven who are going on very mild. Yes. What? Antidepressants at the age of seven? Well, even antipsychotic drugs are now being dispensated to, to children. Even though the manufacturer of those antipsychotics state, don't give them to children below the age of ten. I have already come across children who have been placed on these antipsychotics. Yeah, they are placed on them, and what is the damage? You see, children, of course, this is another topic for another day before they reach the age of puberty. In the, what we call the formative years, are still very pliable. It's a bit like putty when you mold it or, or a plasticine. But once the astral body descends, which is what really puberty is about, it's the astral body. It's the content of your emotion. That's what puberty is. It's the descent of the, through, it, it works through the thyroid gland and the parathyroid. It works through your hormones because your hormones initiate emotion. So the astral body comes down and all of a sudden you've got a stranger in your house. You don't know who this person is because all the feelings and situations from other lives are emerging. And suddenly you meet for the first time the little soul you brought into the world 10, 12 years ago. Little Johnny was so sweet and now look at him type of scenario. Because the descent or the awakening into his emotions arrives. And if he's had a very turbulent expression, you suddenly find you've got a rather aggressive um, situation with a teenager who becomes destructive. I'm looking at worst case scenarios. Goes on to drugs and all sorts of things because they can't deal with their emotions. Where do you find all these teenagers? Every last one of them. Ralph, I have seen in the shopping malls babies of a year to a year and a half sitting in a pram so that while the mother can do something they've got a device in their hands they've got a little tablet there with little funny pictures of funny little animated creatures on there to keep them busy and the baby's tapping the screen with the hands and because of the response mechanism that's written into these programs there's an immediate response can you imagine that and then you wonder why <laughs> there's no imagination in children because it's mechanized from so early oh my goodness I'm going to pray for the children that are coming in now we really do I mean we've got a situation which I believe you've heard of, of of a little one who in order to keep this little one quiet is often found asleep with a tablet in her bed next to her and she's not even seven I know that's uh this is the kind of situation that um, we as teachers are, are meeting every single day and uh, they think the problem is with their children. They don't see what they're doing to the children. Because this, the soul has been denied, Ralph. The soul of mankind, even in modern psychology today, going right up to psychiatric treatment, the soul is not acknowledged. You're treating a bunch of 
animated systems in the body through a nervous system and chemical responses. That's how they see mankind in the medical world. Yeah, it's very sad. So very we sad. have to come to the point where we say, how do you find the inner child when the inner child has been bludgeoned to death by a certain set of individuals in embodiment who have introduced a matrix system to completely shut mankind off out of his own nervous system, his true nervous system. Because people today can't feel. They don't know how to feel. They live in euphoria. They are living for the next fix. This is why alcoholism is so high. And taking in nicotine, you see the illusion with both is alcohol drives you out of your body, but nicotine actually causes you to incarnate very deeply. So while you appear to be very solid on the earth because you're smoking, you can now drink a lot more and then you won't feel so lightheaded anymore. It is absolutely lethal. What does that do? It splits you in half. Absolutely. The combination of alcohol and smoking splits the soul clean in half. How tragic. So now, where do we find... I mean, we know where there's alcoholism in, in the home. Children are drinking as young as, as, as seven as young as eight, nine years of age, they're drinking already then. Okay, so where do we go today to find the inner child which has kind of been bludgeoned to death? Well, the good news is the child is still there. The inner child is still there. You have to find that inner child. You have to trust and have faith <coughs> and absolute belief that, number one, God is there, and that inner child represents your innocence. It represents your innocence and who you are as an individual. Because without the inner child, we don't exist. So we have to look at that and say, why don't we exist without the inner child? Have you ever met a person who is quite sonorous in nature? What do I mean by that? They have a stream of degrees behind them. They have this, they have that, and so on and so forth. And yet there is nothing within the soul where you can reach and touch that person. They seem to rather, in a sense, regurgitate everything that they have learned and that is about them, but of their own soul they know nothing. Yeah, that <coughs> I have met that. And if they are being trained in science then they think they have a, a superior paradigm. But in fact, they don't, because their science has not extended into the realm of the soul. I want to tell you a lovely story, but it's a true story. Anyone who knows the works of the great, he's now an ascended master, Yogananda Paramahansaji. In his self-realization organization he founded in California, and he came from India to do that. But in his subsequent years, formative years in India, he was trained by the great Lahiri Mahasaya and Sri Yukistwa, who were very advanced beings and are now ascended masters. Now, the great Sri Yukistwa was a very, very great being who was basically Yogananda's guru who trained him. But he was very well known in his time in India and lots of pundits, as they are known, lots of Indian people would go and seek him out, particularly those who wanted to become his disciple, you see, and basically take on the, the um, 
the wisdom of the master and basically awaken. And this classic story that Yogananda refers to is that this one particular individual, an Indian gentleman, who had studied the Vedantas, all right, in university as well, the Vedic universities that they do have there in India, very, very well informed and knowledgeable young man, and could kind of repeat many, many things in the Vedantic sutras, which no one even knows exists. He was extremely knowledgeable. Therefore, he primed himself and thought he was a prime candidate. You see, and he eventually got in to finally meet the guru. When he went into Sri Yukteswar's abode, and he found him as typical with most guru masters at that stage, with just the loincloth and, of course, of the heat of India, and sitting there cross, cross-legged and so on and so forth in humble but very amazing surroundings. He was introduced by Yogananda, who then withdrew to the side and kind of disappeared politely but was still there. He then introduced himself to this great master and he sat for nearly two hours repeating all these Vedantas and all this wisdom, all this stuff in his decrees. And you know, this is a true thing, it happened. And eventually, Sri Yukistor was, was very much like our blessed Almoria, very intense, very fire individual. And he eventually said, yes, 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 yes. And he waved him with his right hand. He said, yes, he says, for two hours you have been sitting here talking to me and you have told me nothing about yourself. I'm not interested in this. Who are you? Now you work that out for yourself. <laughs> for two hours you've been talking. Who are you? <laughs> yeah. And there, in a matter of a space of a few words, this mighty master flushed down the toilet, possibly 10 to 12 years with the training this man had given. He says, I'm not interested in all this. Who are you? What have you got to say about yourself? Where do you come from? <laughs> Where's your soul? Right. Yeah. So that's the story, you see. And you've got to look at it today. That's where we are at today. That's where we are at today. We talk and talk and talk. Gautama Buddha made a prophecy with Lord Maitreya. And he said that this is what is going to be called the replica age. Where everything is repeated and repeated and repeated and there's no content. Gautama stated there will be massive, massive temples to the Buddha and the Buddhas of extraordinary architectural defeat and uh, sorry feet and creation and so on beautiful statues but there's no content magnificent cathedrals to the christ but there's no content what did he mean there's no teaching the buddhist priests and the christian priests get up there and wax and wane like our indian uh, gentlemen but they're saying nothing they're not teaching jesus put it another way when the disciples were arguing with him, and they always did, he was he, he spat onto the, the the ground, and looked at them and said, "You are like dogs. You guard the temple. You never go in yourself, but you never let anyone in either." This is what they do in the replica age in these temples. They do have wisdom, but they don't teach it, so it's empty. So you have a lot of obeisance of nothing. What's obeisance? Extreme bowing, kantowing, and paying your rituals, and lighting candles, and burning incense. It's fine. But where's the content? Where's the structural teaching that gives the Dharma foundation to the soul to grow? Why are so many Buddhist monks bailing out today? 
Do you know that there is a plethora of Buddhist monks today who are taking ayahuasca and claiming that it's a quicker journey to meet the Buddha? These are monks who are tonsured, who spend nine years training to get to where they are. And then they take ayahuasca and claim that they can reach Gautama Buddha, the Lord of the Earth. Quicker. Oh dear. And in fact, he's not to be found on the astral plane. No, you won't be found there at all. So my, my point, I'm, I'm, I'm merely pointing out to you and to everybody with cap in hand I am humble in this please forgive my passion I am extremely passionate about this subject because I have spent 32 years in training with both the Buddhic principles and the Christic principles I have put them together in what is called the path of the cosmic Christ when you learn both of the great Tathagata, which is Gautama Buddha, and the 82,000 sutras he taught. And you learn of Jesus Christ, who was his and is still his disciple to this day. Jesus went to Tibet and was a Tibetan monk for nearly six years. He learned to speak and write in Sanskrit. And he was trained on the sacred oral tradition, which was still very strong 2,000 years ago into the great teachings of the great Tathagata, which he brought back to Palestine and taught in parables in Jerusalem. Oh, that is something people don't know. You've got to enter in, sorry Ralph, to, to jut in, you've got to enter into these teachings. You can't just look at them. Otherwise, Buddhism itself remains nothing but a fantastic philosophy. Mm. People love to philosophize, but they don't enter in. Again, there's your replica. There's no content. You're not providing yourself with the content because you don't realize that the content is missing. And without content, without structural teaching, how do you grow? If you don't basically educate a child in school, how does it go out into the world? It's the same principle. And education does not end in matric. In fact, it begins... And even when you ascend, you still strive. You are still initiated. You still must transcend. You don't arrive when you've ascended and sit on a cloud and say, well, I've made it. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> Not at all. You then work even harder than you ever did in the physical octaves. The only difference is there's no limitation there. You are provided with the most incredible divine archives where you can actually reach hand-to-mouth the structure of the teachings of the Great Ones without being inhibited and denied them by mighty teachers who will orally instruct you as well as in transliteration. So without content in teaching, whether it is the streams of the East or the streams of the West, which must meet in the Cosmic Christ, where do you find God today? God is not just some ephemeral mighty being and we all go, oh, mm, I know the Creator's there. We are supposed to grow. We're supposed to grow and transcend and become the teachers of the next generation who become the teachers of the next generation and so on and so forth. The hand-me-down, as it were, the oral tradition, which without content you can't have. Now, this brings me to the question of the mask. If you mask the face, where's the oral tradition? Now, the face is the visage of God. Now, the human face is very interesting. When I was in China, in Taiwan, I 
learned to read the face and the human face just as much as the human hands the movements of your fingers and your thumb you can tell a lot about a person just by looking at their thumb a lot about their nature and their character as you can with the human face from the forehead down to the chin and under the chin the alignment of your ears the lobes of the ears how they move because whether you realize it or not your ears move when you talk even if it's very subtle they're still moving what the face really means what it means you know the face is the mirror of the heart it is supposed to be the mirror of your heart and if the face is masked over the nostrils and the mouth and the cheeks and the jaw where's the will Where's the smile of God? Where's the visage of God? Where the mouth opens and says, I love you. Where is it? Now children need the face of their mother. A little baby in arms must be able to look into his mother's face. You and I both know, and any good parent will know, that little children are very deeply disturbed by images that are not extremely beautiful and very angelic. They cry, they get very frightened. It disturbs the psyche, disturbs the soul. They must be able to see the face of the mother. Do you know that I have discovered recently that in certain hospitals in Europe and the United Kingdom, they are now, because of COVID, denying breastfeeding. And the children, the minute they're born, have um, <clears throat> these tubes stuck down their throat and they're fed by a tube. They're being denied it because of COVID. And mothers are not allowed to hold and bring their own children to breast as soon as they're born. What in the name of God is going on there? Oh, it's complete satanic practice. They are mechanically feeding these children what? You need the mother's milk as you need the mother's feature. They are synonymous. The breast milk and the face of the mother to a newborn is synonymous. Have you ever seen how babies suck their mother's faces sometimes? It's a bit gooey, and I've had my children do that to me. It's not exactly the greatest uh, sensation, but they often just go with their little face on the corner of your face or grab your chin with their little mouth or something. Okay? And it can be a very gooey and yucky experience on the one hand, but do you know how important it is to that child? Do you uh, see how little children, when they before they can really walk, when you hold them in the arms, they always grab your nose? Yes. And if you, like, as a man, like you do, have a beard, they're going to have a good yank at that too. Yes. Well, they often pulled my hair, and I certainly don't have a beard, but they often pulled my hair, my, my three daughters, when they were little. So you, you see, the thing is, the face of the mother is also the face of the father. Hmm. You see, so now if the little infant, the little one, cannot see mommy's face, all the little infant sees is a set of eyes and a blank face. So there's no expression, there's no culture. Your face is your culture. Wow, what an eclipsing of the mother. Yes, so and the mother light is being eclipsed and denied in the heart of the children. So there is a plan afoot to separate the mother light from the heart of the little child. They are severing it from birth. From the moment you enter into the physical octave, they're severing it. Mm. And daddy's there too. Daddy picks up his baby. And the little one needs the, the strong jaw of the father. A man's face is different to a woman. Whether he sports a beard or not is irrelevant. He needs that little baby. needs the strong alpha lineage in the face of a man that says, I am thy father. I am here. Be still. 
Where's that now? Men are being demasculized in this again. Men are being denied the chance to raise their own children in the light of Almighty God. They are being denied the opportunity to be the reflection of Alpha in the matter plane. They may not bring the will of the Father through because they are masked. There's only a set of eyes there. It is completely alien. Yeah. Sorry to shock you, but that is my message this morning. There's, a, there's, there's far more than just banning the mask. You've got to understand the psychology behind this. You've got to understand that when you assent to keep wearing these things all the time, what you are doing, because whether you have children or not, little children see you in the street. Why are they banning children from the bigger shops? Because they don't want the children to have contact with the parent. In what, the household? Was it not your joy as a little boy, as a man, as a little girl to go shopping with mommy? Why are they banning the very hearth out of the child as well? Profound questions, Anna Kalima. Profound. And the, I, I look at the statistics today. And if we talk about psychology, even the so-called local psychologists, God bless these souls who have not gone or progressed beyond average psychology, are now chalking up an immense amount of money because mothers and fathers and single parents and families are, are coming in line because their children are what? Breaking down? Are having depression? Are wetting their beds? Don't eat their food? I have psychological issues that are seriously questionable. Yeah. And then what happens is when you go to a doctor, be it a, 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 a male doctor or a female doctor, the bloody doctor, excuse me, swearing, is masked. Mm. <laughs> oh dear. What, a, what a terrible scenario. Oh, my God. So, you see, it's, it's quite a situation. We have to stand up in our soul first. Before you, oh, listener, are willing to take your mask off, you must take it off inside. Yeah. You must take it off inside because most people are masked without the mask. And what is the mask? It's this face we put on in society that's never, ever real. Have you ever dealt, you and I have, and we, we mix in that milieu of people who counsel and who help. And in all my years of counseling, one thing I can tell you, which was one of the most repetitive um, kind of complaints coming out of the soul is, well, you know, it's just a mask I wear. This is not really who I am, but I have to have this face on for my family. But inside, I'm breaking up and breaking down. So we're already wearing a mask, Ralph. So we've manifested the mask, haven't we? It's not just a matter of rogue governments, satanic forces, Ralph. We are also manifesting the illusion of the mask that we cannot cope with life. So it's come. It's now physical in front of us. This is the deep innate psychology of what the mask really represents. We are responsible for the fact that this is mandated. We are responsible globally for the fact that this has happened. We are responsible globally for the fact that we now f globally are forced to social distance because in our private lives we do it all the time. Oh, I don't want to be with them. Oh, I'm not mixing with them and the holier than thou. People don't want to be nice to each other and mix with each other and have a kind of brotherhood consciousness. So now you have the manifestation of your activities in your psyche 
over a long period of time. It's not just an instant thing. It's a long period of time. It's been long in coming, this. Long in coming. Hundreds of years in coming. It's not just the modern century dilemma, Ralph. If you go back in the annals of history, you'll see social distancing was practiced in class system. And India is very strong with that. Some of the biggest dysfunctional problems in India today come from their social class distancing problems. Hmm. So it's actually been a, a problem throughout history, actually. Yes. Because they've always got boundaries and geographical boundaries and you're a Spartan and I'm an Athenian. But at the end of the day, now we manifest the mask we always wear. Why is it there's some folk, God bless them, that are only too delighted in wearing these masks and make it very difficult for others who refuse to bow and kowtow to this? Why? Because they are themselves already masked. Therefore, it suits, it's comfortable. Oh, now I don't even have to stretch my face anymore and pretend to be nice. I'll just hide behind the mask. <laughs> well, you are too. We are so fortunate to have this conversation with Anna Kalima this morning. So, uh, just before we continue, let's have another song. Bright source of all God's radiant light, always here within me, ever do I love thee. My devotion rises sure to your heart sublime and pure. Know my love adoring in this blissful one of all to be my own, merging now in holy communion, one to be eternally my only goal and dream are you. Oh, 
We're talking to Anna Kalima this morning, and she's bringing amazing things. Uh, she's just been telling me uh, we were discussing about uh, this thing about uh, criticizing, criticizing, but no real critical thinking. And she was telling me about Chedra. Can you tell us more about Chedra? Chedra in Tibet is what you call critical thinking, where the lamas are trained in their nine-year training course to be accepted and ordained as a Buddhist monk. Um, people are very scathing about it and think they all just rush around there doing that. They are trained in Buddhist doctrines and the teachings of Gautama Buddha and Padmasambhava and the very great monk Tsongkhapa and other great beings like that um, and the um, Kamapa to understand that if you adopt as a virtue a certain set of Buddhist teachings, a sutra for example, uh, you've got to prove in Tedra, in critical debate, that you have taken on that, you've become that and why you can critically argue with it what happens is there's normally a set, it's always normally half your class, maybe up to as much as five to six monks who sit in front of you. They go outside and you have to stand up. And do you know, interestingly enough, you have to actually demonstrate it through your body. You have to, they have this thing where they clap the hands, draw the hand up the arm and present it. They clap the hands and draw the left hand right up the inner arm to the shoulder and they present it like that. And then they have to present why they've taken a sutra and made it their own. And the monks act as the critical body. And they criticize them, but in, in, a, in a positive manner. Are, are you sure? You know, and so on and so forth. And, and he, the monk, who is now standing in front of them, he has to come back and forth. He has to retreat. Then he has to come in again and clap the hands, come up the arm and present it to him with the right hand. Because every opposition they present him, he's got to overcome in his critical thinking. Because they're going to try and break him down from why he wants to carry that as a virtue. So he's got to basically demonstrate in critical thinking why he's made it his own. And how he can actually prove it and live it. Mm. Well, that's something we should uh, incorporate in our schools. <laughs> <laughs> we should get our teenagers to do chedra. <laughs> you see, the thing is that that understanding there gives the monk, is, the nuns do it too, it's not just the monks, but I'm referring to it in this instance. It gives them the foundation out of which their whole Buddhist premise will arise. Because I have come from this. This is who I am. I take this particular virtue of Lord Gautama and I'm going to live it and become it. Let's take one of the great five Dayani Buddhas as Akshobhaya. Now Akshobhaya happens to be the Buddha who overcame hatred. He was actually in embodiment with Gautama. And Gautama gave him the task of overcoming hatred. You see, his monks were given these tasks. How do you overcome hatred? Well, you have to overcome it in yourself. You have to overcome the fear of hatred. And Akshobhai so, so mastered this that he is renowned. In fact, the 17th Kamapa himself, His Holiness the 17th Kamapa, is a renowned follower of the Dhyana of Akshobhaya because of world hatred. And in following Akshobhaya's teachings, 
because dhyana really means meditation. The five dhyani Buddhas are principal understandings in the virtues of Gautama Buddha, bringing forth the dhyana, the meditation of the actual Dharma itself. So now actual way brings forth that meditation of overcoming self-hatred and hatred in the world to such an extent that you can then after through the power of the love you become deflect and deflect and deflect and overcome hatred by love and the positive tedra or virtue of love universal love we're talking about here not personal love divine love as often or not when we start personalizing universal love it becomes hatred because we don't know how to love and that is a fact people don't know how to love they've been taught that love can be bought it's bought it's a, it's a commodity how can you buy if, if love is a commodity my listener how can you buy the essence of your own soul are you selling yourself on the market are you marketable are you selling yourself well I think that's one of the biggest problems in the world today. Politicians are bought. Lawyers are bought. Supreme <coughs> councils are bought. Uh, what You can buy the entire life stream of a human being um, and you can block the entire s system once you've bought that person. This is a modern dilemma. Yeah, why do they buy them though? Because they want their blood. They want their spiritual blood, which is your life essence that you pour into life. You see, why? Because in itself, they know, the fallen ones know. Why do you think animals become rogue? Why? How does a lion become a rogue? Why does the great white shark, once it's unfortunately had someone for lunch, will never eat anything else but human being again? And the lions become rogues. Why? Because whether you are want to acknowledge it or not, within every tiny atom and cell and molecule of your being, the Christ light, the cosmic DNA exists there. Not your mortal DNA, the cosmic DNA exists there. And that is the principle of the Christ light. That is how a man can turn from being literally a devil himself by re being redeemed in Christ literally overnight. It's said in the Bible, God can change you in the twinkling of an eye. Why? Because the Christ light in his faith, in his hope and charity or love, wisdom and power, is actually cosmically encoded through the cosmic Christ DNA within your being. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in Africa, they <coughs> full well understand what you're talking about because they know that once a lion eats human flesh, you have a serious, serious, serious problem. problem, yeah. Because that they lion will kill will indiscriminately and will eat nothing except human human beings. Why? Because they go the animal, as the masters have taught, goes insane. What happens is it goes completely insane. You have to put the animal down. It goes insane. Why? Because of the Christ light. Because of the opulent mother of milk light, the sacred fire, which is in every tiny atom and cell of your being, which is in your bloodstream. Christ's light is there, whether you like Christ or not, whether you believe in Christ or not. From the universal Christ consciousness, it's there in your atoms and cells. When you deny it, you're actually denying your own consciousness. When you deny Christ, you're saying you don't exist. When people say, I don't believe in Christ, well, that means you're saying, I don't believe in me. <laughs> That's what they're saying. 
I don't believe in Christ. I'm not religious. This is nonsense. Christ has nothing to do with religion. Nothing. It is a universal principle. Just as the Buddhic light is the same. It, it, it has nothing to do with the, what has arisen since the ascension of Gautama Buddha uh, three, 2,800 years ago. What has arisen? <laughs> Gautama Buddha did not start Buddhism. Mankind did. It arose, Buddhism, the Buddha's teachings. It arose out of his canonical teachings, the 82,000 sutras of his canonical teachings, because he lived till he was 82, Gautama. And he taught. Do you know that Gautama Buddha only slept um, 20, what was, what was it? No, we got 20, he only slept, uh, slept 20, uh, let me reverse that, sorry. He only slept four hours a day. He was awake 20 hours a day, sometimes 22 hours a day. He only needed as much as two hours sleep a day, even in his 80s, because he lived so in the light. So did Jesus. Jesus almost taught round the clock. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's an exalted uh, mindset. Yes. Remember, please, remember he was completely vegetarian what did he really subsist on rice what was available 2800 years ago a very different form of what we call brownie today but do you know that Gautama only ate once a day and he only ever drank water so where was his quick fix me pick me up <laughs> In spirit exactly so we have to look at today and we have to understand that we are facing in the world now the greatest occult war that has been since the fall of the height of Atlantis. Because all war is occult. Occult means hidden. That's literally what the word is. People get scared of the word occult. Literally means hidden. Hidden teachings. And not all of them are pleasant. They can be pretty dark. So there is a nasty stain around the word occult, meaning that the hidden teaching is dark. Not necessarily always. We refer to the teachings of Jesus rather as the Gnostic teachings of Jesus Christ, meaning the higher so-called esoteric, higher occult teachings of the Christ and the Buddha. Tibetan Buddhism is occult Buddhism because it teaches the very deep, deep, deep inner breath of karma and reincarnation and the Dharmic wheel. So at the end of the day, to find the Christ within, your first premise is to acknowledge God as you would the one you love. How many of us acknowledge God daily? Very few. The minute you acknowledge God, it is like, but I mean acknowledge Him, not theoretically. I'm not talking about a theoretical acknowledgement. Well, yes, there's a creator. No, 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 no. I am talking about, oh God, oh thou supreme one, oh my father, my mother, I do adore thee. You must feel those words. You must be those words. God will respond. That's how we find God. We will never find God intellectually. You will not find him on a device. And you, will, you can theorize until the cows come home. You can open a school of philosophy. You won't find him. That's why it's so easy for little children to find God. 
There's another little story that the, the master gave once, <coughs> which I'm fond of telling. Oh, the little girl who used to pray and pray and pray. And she wanted a specific kind of toy, and times were a bit hard. And she prayed to God, Oh dear God, please. But her prayer was very short. I know you will give me my dolly for, for my birthday. I know you will. Mommy's thinking, oh my goodness, where am I going to find this doll? So eventually, in desperation, what the mommy did was she made the doll. Because she couldn't find anything like what the little girl wanted. And she slipped into the room in the early hours of the morning and placed the beautiful rag doll on the little child's bed. And she waited. And do you know what she heard? This is a true story. The little girl woke up, went, <gasps> clapped her hands as it. I knew it! I knew it! I knew you would do it! I knew you would do it! Thank you, God! <laughs> and that's, that's truly beautiful. Thank you. Not thank honey. you, Mommy. It's obvious Mommy sewed it. No, it's thank you, God. I knew you'd do it. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, children bring yes. such a breath of air. Yeah. Fresh air. Fresh light. Crushed light into the world. Yeah. So, so let's let's just before we move on to some music, say, "Oh God, I know you'll do it." Put, you know, God says, "Command ye me." It's written in the Bible, Ralph. Command ye me. So now you can put God to the test, but you do it in holy respect and honor. And you say, "Oh God, I know you're there," but the minute you say that, you must say it with absolute expectation. I know you're there. Because you are challenging God, please come forward. I know you're there. Expect God, demand God. I know you're there. Thank you. Thank you for doing this for me. When we make little, we can do it quietly in our head. No one has to ever know, except God, after all, it is between you and Him. We don't have to verbalize it. But it is very exciting. I want to tell you, it is very exciting when you put this to the test and these little things happen. And it only needs one little seed of a happening. Some people like to call it a miracle. Some people call it an epiphany. Some people call it satori. You only need one God experience to know he's there. Because your soul ignites. It immolates in the divine fires of the heart of God. You are turned on in fire. Because your soul knows. And boy, oh, we need a lot of soul ignition at this point in time on the planet. But if we're going to have soul ignition or solar ignition, the igniting of solar consciousness in mankind, you must put something out first. What goes out comes back. What you put out comes back. We co-creators with God was supposed to be. We are given a free will. People don't understand what free will is. And the only way your free will will truly activate is when you align it with God's will. And then miracles happen. Yeah. I'll, I'll say amen to that. And uh, here is a song. Uh, it's actually the title of the song is Amen. 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 Ah! 
So we're back here with Anna Kalima, and um, we were just saying that um, unless you take off your mask, your mask won't come off. This is a, this is the dilemma. I heard people talking about places where the is, mask is no longer a uh, an absolute must, but people are still wearing the masks because they haven't actually taken off. The inner mask, right, Anika Lima? Yeah, you see, people are also, if you're not sure of who you are, if you're not emotionally founded in Christ, you will be subjected to the paranoia of the present times, whatever the so-called fad or fashion of extremism in mankind's consciousness is, you will be pulled along with it whether you like it or not. And fear, unfortunately, is more contagious than any virus, so fear becomes the paranoia and therefore you have a kind of multiplicity of complexes there because of the paranoia i won't remove the mask but the paranoia was there in the first place well long before the physical mask actually appeared there was a different kind of paranoia because people don't know how to relate to one another they don't know how to work and serve the term brotherhood is completely sacrosanct at this point in time on earth it is rather used in usurped and rather tragic and satanic levels of what brotherhood really means because they have usurped the term brotherhood completely in all its facets. And therefore, in other words, um, I am not my brother's keeper is what the symbol is in the world at the moment. It's each man unto himself. And that already speaks of 
uh, a severance far greater than AIDS could possibly offer. You know, AIDS is also was the manifestation of severance. It was the manifestation, it is the manifestation of the breakdown of the human um, immune system. And interest, interestingly enough, the masters teach that the immune system is completely correlated to your consciousness and how you feel about life. And if you are a resolute kind of person and quite tough and inclined to be one that just gets on with things and gets things done, you'll find those people get sick uh, far less than others. But when you constantly fret about yourself and everything's revolved around yourself, your immune system will be very weak because you are not expanding your consciousness. You're not extending yourself to where you're meant to be. You fall into the very tiny, narrow capsule of the human intellect. And that capsule is literally like a capsule that's got medication in it. That's how tiny it gets. Unless we expand our consciousness, we are meant to become living suns. The concept of the sun and the sun, the son of God and the son of God. We are meant to become solar orbs of divine power and light in the heart of God, the son of Christ. Be you male or female. It's got nothing to do with gender in that sense. To this, the son of God, which women often complain about, is so gender-based to men, is absolute nonsense. It's to do with the sun itself in the light of God. The light of God is referred to as a sun. It is coincidental, is it not, we have a sun every day shining out there to give us daylight. That is the sun of God. That's not just a ball of fire up there. That is consciousness up there that enlightens you. People do not actually realize that that is the consciousness of beings, two beings together there twin flame who bring forth the light so so intensely that it can light up an entire planetary body what kind of being is that what kind of being together with your divine consort can emit so much light you can light up an entire planet now that is expanded awareness every one of us in an outer embodiment are destined to become a sun Every one of us are destined to have such expanded consciousness. We are such an intense light force. You know that the average human being, <laughs> I have a bit of a knock at old Eskom here in South Africa. <laughs> in each of us, we have enough light in our body to light up an entire city of people. That's why it is always rough in the history of mankind, always being the handheld few who have kept the light for the many. So great is the light of God, so intense is the light of God, so pure and radiant and omnipotent is the light of God, that if but a handful of his sons and daughters get together, they can emit enough light to carry the light of an entire nation of people. What is this light that is so great that it feeds the soul life of the human being? And raises them from the human condition to the divine. The same power that raised Jesus Christ out of so-called death as the Son of God exists in you and I. And every man and woman and child on this earth. It is the light of God. And the only answer, I believe, the only answer to the world dilemma at the moment is to say, good morning, God, I love you. Because what you're doing when you do that, or almighty God, or my father, my mother, make it very personal, it works better. The light in you starts to shine dramatically. 
because you are that light awakening to your own self-consciousness your own God self-consciousness that's the only way we will get out of this dilemma globally is if we enough people awaken to shine enough light so that the rest can see that light and take part in that light because people in the main are like children the masters explain they do often refer to mankind as infant humanity but let's take a look at that without it seeing as a criticism how do children learn by observation again our great master Jesus taught children learn by observation you learn he said by observation if you observe enough people who truly hold light how powerful, even if it's a charismatic Christian who truly has given his or her all to Christ in a charismatic sense, they're very powerful. They emit a radiance of light. They want to bless everyone and pray for everyone. And they genuinely, genuinely emit tremendous light and love and healing. And they can heal many people. How is this possible, even on such a mundane level? Because really, truly, orthodox religion is absolute mundanity. It's mundane Christianity. It's very mundane. But even on a mundane level, how powerful is God? Now, when we acknowledge God, it is the first step home to acknowledging your higher self. It is the first step home when you say, Good morning, my father, my mother, or you lie in bed at night and try it and close your hand over your heart with your eyes closed and say, Oh, Lord, my God, I do not understand thee, and I know that you're probably laughing at me that I could even imagine to understand you, but I love you anyway. What are you really saying? You're acknowledging that God is the supreme power in your life. You're acknowledging your own divinity. It's the first step home on the path. Yeah, that is uh, a profound thought, Anakalima. To acknowledge your own divinity, the starting point, the first step, which there are so many people uh, just incapable of acknowledging their own divinity. Yeah. Okay, so let's take another quick uh, mu music break. This song is, What Child Is This? Yeah. 
So we're back here on Blue Lotus Radio, Anna Kalima Talk, and what a wonderful talk we're having here this morning. Yes, it's been very interesting to bring home Ring Across the ideation, which is the divine archetype of the divine parent the Father, Mother, God, principle of Alpha and Omega, we are supposed to emulate uh, because we are supposed to learn by observance. So if we are constantly masked one way or another, how do children learn where the divine parent is? Okay, it is a tragic thing that the so-called welfare state or communist activities of the world are the absolute antithesis of communion, of the holy communion of God. It is the antithesis of communion. And what is communion? In church we look at communion as taking the body and blood of Jesus Christ. But it's denied to us in communist activities, and we, we are basically made very common, but not in communion. We are not common, yet we are all one. Every one of us are different. The mighty oak tree, not a single leaf on that tree is the same as the other. Not a single human being on this earth is the same DNA as another. Not a single human being on this earth is the same thumbprint as another, or the iris as another, the eyes, the reading of the eyes. We are unique in God. We're not cut out cardboard copies of each other. There again is replica, isn't it? It's the replica age. They want to spew out an army of humanity that has no content, that has no spirit of Christ, no spirit of the Buddha, no spirit of the Divine Mother. Even in nature, the mother is prevalent in all things. The mother bear, the mother lioness, they are fiercely protective over their little ones. The mother eagle, or whatever you want, even in the sea. So the mother principle is all of life. Nature herself becomes the mother of the sapling that moves up out of the ground that becomes a tree. The etheric forces and the elemental forces, earth, air, fire and water or the elemental beings, nurture the process of the tree that is moving up out of the ground. The whole of life in the physical octave is one of nurturing. Why? Because it is the mother caress, to caress your soul in the mother light, in the mother milk of the breast of the mother or the heart of the mother 
If this heart is being removed from mankind and nature, what will we have? A sterile planet, where nature itself does not produce after its own, but is empty of content. And the principle of the Father and the will of the Father, that things are actualized and happen in the power of God, are dead. This is what we're facing at the moment. Mankind is at the axiomal point, the pivotal point of whether he's going to continue denying God, putting off Christ until tomorrow. You know, the Buddhists are very fond in a teaching of saying Maitreya will only come in about a million years from now. But he's here now. Lord Maitreya is here now because the ascended masters who reopened the mystery schools with the starting of Saint Germain in the early 1930s of the I Am Discourses was the opening of the Maitreya mystery schools on the planet, which means that the etheric octaves were opened to mankind once again. Why and how did this happen? Because mankind is at that pivotal point that unless he is redeemed in Christ, he's doomed. Because this earth will ascend and people don't understand that the law of the cycle is a very powerful thing and if you're going to miss the cycle of reincarnation where you can ascend you might be an embodiment for the next one to two point million years before you get the opportunity to ascend again everything is cyclic the cycle of the ascension comes round and that's what the Aquarian age is, the cycle of the ascension. The last time this cycle was, was in the height of Atlantis. And Atlantis is well over 14 to 20,000 years ago. Because we move in 7,000 year epochs to 14,000 year epochs to per actual civilization. And the 2,000 year cycles of each of the hosts of the astrological signs which are hosted by the four and twenty elders. So these are very amazing times. We've come to the pivotal point where Maitreya has returned and opened his mystery schools again. And this is the returning of the consciousness to the cosmic Christ path and the reunion of the twin flames. And I must, on behalf of the Ascendant Masters, as I am their representative, make it very clear that your twin flame, if you are male, is female. If you are female, your twin flame is male. And there's, there's no argument out of that. That is the counterbalance of Alpha and Omega. This is the age, the Aquarian age of the twin flame. This is what Jesus came for. Is to reunite the twin flames together again. So that we can have the golden age. And there's a very exacting time where people are put on notice by God by their own higher self. You either clear your act up or you're going to be swallowed up by another tide where you will be reincarnating Adam finitum with the same kind of stuff you can barely deal with now until you get right in your soul and realize you are divine, you come from the divine, you are returning to the divine. If you don't claim your divinity in these times, you're going to lose out. Thank you, Anakalima. That's a profound thought and yet very pertinent to our discussion this morning. Thank you very, very much. And um, 
do you still want to add to that line of thought? No, I, I think we, we, we touched some very deep subjects here, which has probably overwhelmed the, the, a lot of listeners. Uh, making these podcasts available allows you to listen to it again and again. Please understand instrumentally, I am a messenger of the Great White Brotherhood. I have been trained over many, many, many years. I didn't just simply fall into this. I've gone through tremendous hardships and tremendous disciplines and absolute abstinence. I live life like a monastic in that sense but i'm willing to do that i've given up my life to society i live my life entirely for god and the ascended host so that i can act as that ark of divine light that allows the archangelic consciousness and that of the ascended masters to come through and give you the understanding about these profound times to give you enlightenment to give you hope in a very dark night of the soul which is in the world at the moment and that there is a way out of this dilemma and that dilemma being that there appears to be such godlessness on the earth at the moment that mankind seems to be subject to such tyranny and such absolute subjective slavery on all levels which started initially with debt slavery that is when it began a very long time ago in fact the debt slavery raft that you know began at the time of jesus they started what we now have today as the common id and the registering of people at the time of Jesus himself. The Romans started it 2,000 years ago. So the identification that you're not just a son and daughter of God born in the matter place. Sasha Stone will bear this out. That in fact the ID number does alienate yourself from your Christhood. And actually entitles you as a business. You are no longer a person. The moment you are born, the mother, the parent. The moment the parent registers the birth of a child. That child is acknowledged as a business and not a human being this has been going on for a very long time and now we have the results of this dehumanization today where your digit factor takes precedence over your humanity and your human rights and when it's borne out by our devices our devices are manifested everywhere in everyone's life in every home people have got several not just one because they've become a number a digit orientation Anyone who knows just the wee tiniest bit about computers and cell phones and that, they all run on number. They are programmed through number, not words, number. Which is again what? The mark of the beast? Thank yeah. you. I'm good. Yes, I must agree with you on a killing where this has been a very jam-packed fool. And um, I think it's, uh, we could uh, perhaps now have a song and when we come back, you could possibly um, do some closing, closing words or whatever you want to close with. And we are truly grateful, Anna Kalima, for uh, your lifestyle and your dedication to the Ascended Masters. And that is why we uh, dedicate the Blue Lotus Radio, to the platform in which Ascended Master teaching is always taught here.
So we're back here on Blue Lotus Radio, uh, Annika Lima's talk show, and we've had a tremendous innings this morning uh, with some really profound thoughts being shared. And uh, we're coming towards the end of our Annika Lima talk show for this week. And um, I'm going to hand over now to Annika Lima to sort of bring the final chapter and to close things off. You know what I'd like to say to you, to my listeners, don't be too overwhelmed by things that are discussed here. Please bear in mind, with all due respect, this has taken a lifetime of studying. I've also done quite a lot of traveling abroad. I've learned about life as well. I haven't just sat in a little shell. I've been around and some. And I would just like to share with you that you can live a very simple life without too much profundity in it or too much that's overwhelming by starting with God, by acknowledging God. The Ascended Masters have this saying that is given to them by in the great etheric retreats, Almighty God is also known as the Nameless One because he doesn't have a name, there's no name you can truly give God, is there? Because of his profound omnipotency and omniscience, his omnipresence. Okay, what and truly is this great cosmological giant, macro giant called Almighty God? And yet there is an aspect of God in all of us. Now, you know, I once made a statement when I found myself entering deeper and deeper and deeper into these wisdoms when I met the Christ, consciousness in Jesus the Christ and his appearance before me. I have subsequently had other appearances of great cosmic beings I've stood before. And my answer to them was, how do I offer sunlight to the sun? Because I didn't know what to offer God in respect to what he's given me is so great. Lord, my Father, how do I offer thee sunlight? For thou art the sun. So I would say to you, if you want to offer God sunlight, offer him your heart. Because your heart is destined to become a sun, 
a blazing sun. The solar plexus has fallen. The solar plexus is a sun center. And we are meant through the work of the ascended masters in the great cities of light where the great etheric retreats are to raise the solar plexus back up into the heart. The sun center must come back into the heart because we don't feel connected to the sun of our own consciousness, you see, because it's sitting, fallen in the solar or sun plexus, sun center. And yes, one will say, well, that's the sun center. Yes, but it's fallen. Um, mankind's consciousness descends. It's, consciousness is something. It's something tangible. It descends, you see, when mankind's thinking falls. You know, sometimes when you're with people who unfortunately do live... Um, <laughs> On the very bottom rank of life they live in the gutters and I'm not talking about homeless people please um, and they kind of are a little bit low-keyed you're not very fond of being in company with such people why what's the first thing you say because they bring you down there's an actual physical downness in this so when mankind's consciousness descends it goes down it goes down the line of your own being your own awareness all right which just means it falls down in your your centers, your chakra centers in your being. And you have the solar plexus that must come into the heart. And the soul chakra, the sacral center, the seat of the soul sacral center, which is that chakra between the base chakra, the kundalini and the solar plexus, where your soul consciousness presently is. Do you know, dear listener, that in the fall of mankind, where the sun must come back into the heart, your sacral center is supposed to be raised to your third eye? Do you know that the seat of your consciousness exists in your forehead and not in your belly? Yes, I will repeat that. The seat of your soul consciousness exists in the third eye. And the third eye is the seat of the cosmic Christ consciousness. We are consciousness. We are beings of consciousness. Where is the consciousness at the moment? Well, it's down in the netherworld, isn't it? It's down in the four lower bodies or as the masters call it, the kettle drum consciousness from the solar plexus down. We have to raise the soul center, your solar consciousness, back up into the third eye. And therefore then, where does the base chakra go? To the crown. Does not in all yoga teachings, we speak of the kundalini rising along the spine to meet the crown chakra? So these fallen four lower bodies have to be redeemed. They have to be raised. And the only way they can be raised, you can do yoga until the cows come home. You're not going to raise those centers unless you cleanse them and purify them. Unless you use the violet flame, unless you awaken consciousness. And then through the Christ consciousness, you are able to raise through the principle of the resurrection and the transfiguration, your consciousness back up to where it was before we fell from grace. Just something to think about. I'm trying to pay, um, paste for you in your consciousness a pictographical image. That's why I'm speaking in a certain way here. Um, not to demean anybody. I'm trying to paint it for you so it will form a picture because pictures are the loudest language in the world. Angels speak to us through pictures called dreams. And the profound archetypal works of the subconscious mind is through dream material. Image. Image. The I image of God. Okay, imagination means the I image of God, because T-I-N represents the I am that I am. So imagination means the I image of God, and God is what? Geometrical divinity, 
God represents the geometry of divinity. G-O-D is the geometry of divinity. You were wrought from the mind of God, brought from the mind of God forth as perfect geometrical divine electrical beings. When we ascend, we become electronic beings, free from the atom. At the moment, mankind is bound to atomic structure, the atom of your being, must be raised back up to the electronic substance. What is an electron? It's free. It's free of the atomic structure. It's free in Christ. It's pure Christ consciousness, electronic consciousness. Your nervous system is an electrical system. When you ascend, it becomes electronic. You see, these are vast, vast subjects. I've spent 32 years studying. I just wanted to share with you, you know what? You know in our computers we have this shortcut system and you can bring to the surface of the screen something you can just easily go into on your cell phone as well, Facebook or whatever you're still on there or whatever. You don't have to now go into the net and go to Facebook. Well, why don't we take a shortcut to the screen of the mind and bring God right forward there on a one-tap solution? You can touch the button of God by simply saying, My father, my mother, I love you. And mean it with everything you have. See it right there in your forehead. You know, in my training over all the years I've been training, often I find during the day when I'm working and studying and reading, even if I'm on the computer or not, um, I've even seen it in the shower, I get pinpoints, probably extending about nine feet in front of me and at various levels, of the most magnificent electronic blue crystal diamond violet etheric light I've ever seen right in the center of my third eye. I often see it when I'm decreeing and I pray and meditate. I'm doing my decrees. I see this pinpoint of light that manifests before me in the most brilliant burst of a mixture of violet and the most beautiful blue you could imagine a diamond white light. It takes many, many years to establish the light of the etheric Christ, as some would preferably note in other schools of wisdom, that you start seeing it manifesting through your third eye as you are working. That is true Christ consciousness. That is where cognition and higher thinking takes place. Because the third eye is the window of God's soul. Yes, the third eye is meant to be the window of God's soul, and you are God's soul in manifestation. You can try, especially with modern lighting systems the way they are. Sometimes in these very modern cars, I've seen these lights that come on on the dashboard of the car now, these very beautiful blue lights. It's actually quite beautiful. I find it beautiful. Um, just that light alone, if some of you have that or have seen that blue light, imagine it in your third eye. Sit down somewhere quietly, light a candle in reverence. And perhaps a little bit of incense, because incense clears the atmosphere. It really does. A good incense. Okay? Something that doesn't sit too close to you and clogs your nostrils and makes you cough and sneeze. But it must be perceptible in the space that you meditate in. Make sure you don't have shoes on. Because you must connect your feet with the earth. Whether you live in an apartment building or not, it doesn't matter. That um, ionizing bio line that connecting line, that meridian line from the earth will connect your feet immediately because you are part of the earth. So you are part of the earth connecting with the earth. 
So you can sit, whether it's on a, a wooden floor or a carpeted floor or even concrete, it doesn't matter. Sit barefoot quietly somewhere or go outside and connect directly with the earth barefoot on the grass or the sands, depending on how you feel and what works for you. And you sit quietly for a moment and don't bring your phone with you. If you feel you must maintain connection, put it on silence, but keep it away from you because it emits a radiation that interferes with your own energy lines in your chakras and your meridian lines of the body. It does interfere with you. It does intercept. It does cut you off. And you must sit somewhere there where there's perhaps a bit of shade if you're outside or you're comfortable inside. You can go as far as even playing some beautiful, soft, divinely instrumental music just just, just a little bit in the background. I love the sound of running water. I have a thing about the sound of little streams and little fountains. It creates such a sense of peace in me. So I have downloaded from Spotify itself many nature sounds and I often just run the sound of a fountain or running water in the background just perceptibly enough to give the sense of sitting by a stream by free flow running water because what happens is it affects the, the, the system, the endocrine system of the body. It affects your own bloodstream and it helps the body to run naturally. And you can sit quietly for a moment in a state of reverence have a glass of water next to you. It's important to drink water when you do this work. Very important. Have Make sure that you have a jug of water next to you. Sometimes you can get very thirsty for a reason. And you sit quietly with your hands open on your lap. And focus on your third eye. And focus on that divine blue crystalline light. With a violet influence in it that makes it so beautiful. And you connect with God. You connect with your heart's innermost heart. You keep your eyes closed as a matter of respect because you want as much focus as you can get. You don't want to be distracted by looking at your surroundings. And don't mind. Don't mind if the mind is chattering like a monkey. I call it the monkey mind. The monkey mind, all these thoughts swing from tree to tree in the mind. And they're looking for the fruit of your own development to chow on. Yes, these monkeys chow on the fruit of your own efforts. That's why you've never got any fruit. That's why you've never got any steam. Because they're constantly devouring the fruit of your own efforts. So these monkeys swing, chattering from tree to tree. These are thoughts. Monkey thoughts, you see? And then your fruit is emptied out. And the, 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 the very seed of the fruit is spat onto the floor where your feet is. And you get up and you walk on it, you see? These are profound archetypes I'm offering you. So you don't mind the monkeys because they've always been there. It's going to take a lot of effort to overcome these monkeys. Let them get on with it. You can bypass them just as we have the shortcut on the screen of the computer or your device. And that shortcut to the screen is God's love. And yes, they're chattering away in the background. Well, it doesn't matter. You can detach from those thoughts. Let me put it to you this way. You've gone out somewhere, haven't you? You've gone to a restaurant where you just want a bit of quiet and the restaurant's pretty full. I'm not talking about nighttime restauranting and dinner. You go and have a cuppa somewhere, coffee, hot chocolate, whatever. The restaurant's full and everyone's chatting. Do you listen to everybody in the restaurant? No, you can bypass it. How? And if you've got a friend in front of you, you bypass the entire restaurant of chattering. Waiters and waitresses running around serving food and the smell of food I mean you bypass it because you engage into a very intense in conversation you can do it 
and you talk to the person in front of you, whoever you've gone out with, and you have meaningful, wonderful conversation, and, and the background just actually almost magically disappears, doesn't it? You can, you're aware of it, it's still there, but you pay no attention to it. So you can pretend you're in a restaurant. Just try it. Pretend you're in a restaurant. And just let it all drift into the background. These are all the monkey chatterings, and everybody having their food together and chattering and waxing and waning eloquently. And you will find God. And you go into your heart on the shortcut, on the screen of your mind, which is your third eye. You can even physically tap it very gently. You can tap it with your index finger or the middle finger, which is actually the sun center finger, represents, um, not center, it represents Saturn actually. It doesn't matter what finger you use. You can use the pinky if you like. You can use your thumb. It doesn't matter. You can tap the forehead gently. A good way the masters teach is to take the index finger and the middle finger together. Join them together. And you can touch the side of your temple with them. Or you can bring it to the front of the eye and touch your third eye as an acknowledgement of Almighty God. And you immediately make contact because your fingers are connected to the five secret rays. They are connected to your five senses. So when you join that finger together with the index finger, you create a focus of light that is extremely intense in your own hands. And you can sit quietly and say, Oh God, my father, my mother, God is not just male. God is not just female. God is the divine balance of Alpha and Omega. He is both. She is both. Oh my father, oh my mother, I want to come home to you. Try it. Oh my father, oh my mother, I want to come home to you. Repeat it softly and quietly from the inner, 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 inner depth, silently in your soul. And sit quietly and breathe. Focus on your breath in and out. A, 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 a marginal balance. Don't make too much fuss of the breath, in other words. Just be aware you're breathing. Sometimes we can get so focused we forget to breathe. We stop breathing. You understand? So you focus a little bit on the breath. You're aware you're breathing rhythmically. But again, let it go to the background. And see what happens. You might need to do this several times. You might finish and think, well, I still can't find God. I would give you this much in all my life's experience. God loves to play hide and seek with his children, with her children. You might require several efforts before he's going to fully respond. But respond, he, she will. All you need is that one dynamic moment when there is that irrefutable divine spark that igniting element through the Holy Spirit where the heart goes ah, and you feel it and it is not human and it is not mechanical it does not come from the music or your device or the sound of running water as pleasant as it is it comes from something deeper within you hold that moment and you bless it and you can say, if you're quick enough, thank you for answering me. Even if not a word passes, thank you for acknowledging me as I have acknowledged you. 
this is the premise to the beginning of returning to the center of your divine consciousness because Christ will work with you all the way. The elements of the crystalline diamond consciousness of Gautama Buddha for where he is now in the near 3,000 years he's been ascended will touch you instantaneously through his great crystalline heart and you will find God, you will find the Buddha, you will find the Christ consciousness, you will find the divine mother element in you, that that you're drawn to the most. It's the first step and the first step is the beginning to the whole premise. Just as the masters teach us that a crumb off the table of the master is equal to the whole loaf, the crumb of Christ consciousness, the drop of Christ consciousness, all you need is one crumb Jesus put it another way, if you have faith as tiny as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move and it will move, a mountain of thought, a mountain of problems, a mountain of problems that hurt terribly and you feel the weight of the mountain pressing on top of you. One tiny mustard seed, have you seen how small they are? Well, that's one ignited moment with God. One ignited moment with God, the size of a mustard seed is all you need to completely turn your life around forever and ever. I pray you find this. I pray you and I do send the angels to you. And I do ask, O beloved Gautama Buddha, thou great Tathagata, beloved cosmic Christ, Lord Maitreya, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Redeemer, I do ask to the power of the resurrection flames of the Temple Beautiful and the heart of the violet flame of Saint Germain, that, O Gautama, Lord Siddhartha, you will touch the hearts of those who seek you in these forecoming days, who hear these words, will also hear you and receive you in their hearts, that they may know that you are truly there, that God is there, and it may be a beginning for them and a hope for a better day, a better time, a better future. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Anna Kalima. Thank you very much. We appreciate your time here on Blue Lotus Radio and you've been listening to Anna Kalima's talk show and we will bring you another one as soon as we can and we thank you uh, Anna Kalima for being here this morning. So we will close off now with a song and then end this session. So, beloved listeners, thank you for listening to Blue Lotus Radio.